Chapter Twenty Four of Smith, Journalist by P. G. Wodehouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Psuke Berea. Chapter Twenty Four A Gathering of Cat Specialists. Master Maloney raised his eyes for a moment from his book as Smith re-entered the office. "'There's a guy in there waiting to see you,' he said briefly, jerking his head in the direction of the inner room. "'A guy waiting to see me, Comrade Maloney, with or without a sandbag.' "'Says his name's Jackson,' said Master Maloney, turning a page. Smith moved quickly to the door of the inner room. "'Why, Comrade Jackson,' he said with the air of a father welcoming home the prodigal son, "'This is the maddest, merriest day of all the glad new year. "'Where did you come from?' "'Mike, looking very brown and in excellent condition, "'put down the paper he was reading. "'Hello, Smith,' he said. "'I got back this morning. "'We're playing a game over in Brooklyn tomorrow. "'No engagements of any importance today.' "'Not a thing. Why?' "'Because I propose to take you to visit Comrade Jarvis, "'whom you will doubtless remember.' "'Jarvis?' said Mike, puzzled. "'I don't remember any Jarvis.' "'Let your mind wander back a little through the jungle of the past. "'Do you recollect paying a visit to Comrade Windsor's room? "'By the way, where is Windsor?' "'In prison. "'Well, on that evening, in prison? "'For thirty days, for slugging a policeman. "'More of this, however, anon. "'Let us return to that evening. "'Don't you remember a certain gentleman with just about enough forehead "'to keep his front hair from getting all tangled up with his eyebrows?' "'Oh, the cat-chap! I know. "'As you very justly observe, Comrade Jackson, the cat-chap. "'For going straight to the mark and seizing on the salient point of a situation, "'I know of no one who can last two minutes against you. "'Comrade Jarvis may have other sides to his character, possibly many, "'but it is as a cat-chap that I wish to approach him to-day. "'What's the idea? What are you going to see him for?' "'We.' Oui corrected Smith. I will explain all at a little luncheon at which I trust that you will be my guest. Already such is the stress of this journalistic life, I hear my tissues crying out imperatively to be restored. An oyster and a glass of milk somewhere round the corner, Comrade Jackson? I think so. I think so. I was reading cosy moments in there, said Mike, as they lunched. You certainly seem to have bucked it up, brother. Kit Brady's reminiscences are hot stuff. "'Somewhat sizzling, Comrade Jackson,' admitted Smith. "'They have, however, unfortunately cost us a fighting editor.' "'How's that?' "'Such is the boost that we have given Comrade Brady "'that he is now never without a match. "'He has had to leave us today to go to White Plains "'to train for an encounter with a certain Mr. Wood, "'a four-ounce glove juggler of established fame.' "'I expect you need a fighting editor, don't you?' "'He is indispensable, Comrade Jackson, indispensable.' "'No rotting. Has anyone cut up rough about the stuff you've printed?' "'Cut up rough? Gadzooks! I need merely say that one critical reader put a bullet through my hat. Rot. Not really. While others kept me treed on a roof for the space of nearly an hour. Assuredly, they have cut up rough, Comrade Jackson.' "'Great Scott! Tell us!' Smith briefly recounted the adventures of the past few weeks. "'But man,' said Mike, when he had finished, "'why on earth don't you call in the police?' We have mentioned the matter to certain of the force. They appeared tolerably interested, but showed no tendency to leap excitedly to our assistance. 
The New York policeman, Comrade Jackson, like all great men, is somewhat peculiar. If you go to a New York policeman and exhibit a black eye, he will examine it and express some admiration for the abilities of the citizen responsible for the same. If you press the matter, he becomes bored and says, "'Ain't you satisfied with what you's got, Guan?' His advice in such cases is good and should be followed. No, since coming to this city I have developed the habit of taking care of myself or employing private help. That is why I should like you, if you will, to come with me to call upon Comrade Jarvis. He is a person of considerable influence among that section of the populace which is endeavouring to smash in our occiputs. Indeed, I know of nobody who cuts a greater quantity of ice. If I can only enlist Comrade Jarvis's assistance, all will be well. If you are through with your refreshment, shall we be moving in his direction? By the way, it will probably be necessary in the course of our interview to allude to you as one of our most eminent living cat fanciers. You do not object? Remember that you have in your English home seventy-four fine cats, mostly angoras. Are you on to that? Then let us be going. Comrade Maloney has given me the address. It is a goodish step down the east side. I should like to take a taxi, but it might seem ostentatious. Let us walk. They found Mr. Jarvis in his Groom Street fancier shop, engaged in the intellectual occupation of greasing a cat's paws with butter. He looked up as they entered, and began to breathe a melody with a certain coyness. Comrade Jarvis, said Smith, we meet again. You remember me? Nope, said Mr. Jarvis, pausing for a moment in the middle of a bar, and then taking up the air where he had left off. Smith was not discouraged. Ah, he said tolerantly, the fierce rush of New York life. How it wipes from the retina of today the image impressed on it but yesterday. Are you with me, Comrade Jarvis? The cat expert concentrated himself on the cat's paws without replying. A fine animal, said Smith, adjusting his eyeglass. To which particular family of the Felis Domestica does that belong? In color it resembles a Neapolitan ice more than anything. Mr. Jarvis's manner became unfriendly. "'Say, what do you want? That's straight, ain't it? If you want to buy a boy or a snake, why don't you say so?' "'I stand corrected,' said Smith. "'I should have remembered that time is money. I called in here partly on the strength of being a colleague and side-partner of Comrade Windsor.' "'Mr. Windsor? The gentleman caught me cat?' "'The same. And partly in order that I might make two very eminent cat-fanciers acquainted. This—' he said, with a wave of his hand in the direction of the silently protesting Mike, is Comrade Jackson, possibly the best known of our English cat-fanciers. Comrade Jackson's stud of Angoras is celebrated wherever the King's English is spoken, and in Huxton. Mr. Jarvis rose, and, having inspected Mike with silent admiration for a while, extended a well-buttered hand towards him. Smith looked on benevolently. "'What Comrade Jackson does not know about cats,' he said, is not knowledge. His information on Angora's alone would fill a volume. Say, Mr. Jarvis was evidently touching on a point which had weighed deeply upon him. Why is catnip called catnip? Mike looked at Smith helplessly. It sounded like a riddle, but it was obvious that Mr. Jarvis's motive in putting the question was not frivolous. He really wished to know. The word, as Comrade Jackson was just about to observe, said Smith, is a corruption of catmint. Why it should be so corrupted I do not know. But what of that? The subject is too deep to be gone into fully at the moment. 
I should recommend you to read Comrade Jackson's little brochure on the matter. Passing lightly on from that, did you ever have a cat that ate beetles? inquired Mr. Jarvis. There was a time when many of Comrade Jackson's felidae supported life almost entirely on beetles. Did they get thin? Mike felt that it was time, if he was to preserve his reputation, to assert himself. No, he replied firmly. Mr. Jarvis looked astonished. English beetles, said Smith, don't make cats thin. Passing lightly, I had a cat once, said Mr. Jarvis, ignoring the remark and sticking to his point, that ate beetles and got tin and used to tie itself into knots. A versatile animal, agreed Smith. Say, Mr. Jarvis went on, now plainly on a subject near to his heart, them beetles is fierce, sure. Can't keep the cats off eating them, I can't. First thing you know, they swallow them, and then they gets tin and ties themselves into knots. You should put them into straight waistcoats, said Smith, a passing, however lightly. Say, ever have a cross-eyed cat? A Comrade Jackson's cats, said Smith, have happily been almost free from strabismus. "'Day's lucky cross-eyed cats is. "'You as a cross-eyed cat, nothing don't never go wrong. "'But say, was there ever a cat with one blue eye and one yaller one in your bunch? "'Gum, it's fierce when it's like that. "'It's a real skidoo is a cat with one blue eye and one yaller one. "'Puts you in bad, surest thing you know. "'Once a guy gave me a cat like that, "'and first thing you know I'm in bad all around. "'It wasn't till he gave me away to the cop on a corner "'and gets me one that's cross-eyed that I lifts the skidoo off of me.' "'And what happened to the cop?' inquired Smith.' interested. Oh, he got in bad, sure enough, said Mr. Jarvis, without emotion. One of the boys what he'd pinched and sent it to Island once lays for him and puts one over him with a blackjack. Sure, that's what comes of having a cat with one blue eye and one yaller one. Mr. Jarvis relapsed into silence. He seemed to be meditating on the inscrutable workings of fate. Smith took advantage of this pause to leave the cat topic and touch on matters of more vital import. "'Tense and exhilarating as is this discussion of the optical peculiarities of cats,' he said, "'there is another matter on which, if you will permit me, I should like to touch. "'I would hesitate to bore you with my own private troubles, "'but this is a matter which concerns Comrade Windsor as well as myself, "'and I know that your regard for Comrade Windsor is almost an obsession.' "'How's that?' "'I should say,' said Smith, "'that Comrade Windsor is a man to whom you give the glad hand.' "'Sure. He's did a good Mr. Windsor is. He caught me cat.' "'He did. By the way, was that the one that used to tie itself into knots?' "'Nope. That was another. "'Ah. However, to resume. "'The fact is, Comrade Jarvis, that we are much persecuted by scoundrels. "'How sad it is in this world. We look to every side. "'We look north, east, south, and west. "'And what do we see? A mainly scoundrels.' I fancy that you have heard a little about our troubles before this. In fact, I gather that the same scoundrels actually approached you with a view to engaging your services to do us in, but that you very handsomely refused the contract. Sure, said Mr. Jarvis, dimly comprehending. A guy comes to me and says he wants you and Mr. Windsor put through it, but I gives him to turn down. Nothing done, I says. Mr. Windsor caught me cat. So I was informed, said Smith. Well, Failing you, they went to a gentleman of the name of Riley. Spider Riley? You have hit it, Comrade Jarvis. Spider Riley, the lessee and manager of the Three Points Gang. Those Three Points, they're to the bad. They're fresh. It is too true, Comrade Jarvis. Say, went on Mr. Jarvis, waxing wrathful at the recollection. What do you think them fresh stiffs done the other night? Started some rough wake in my own dance joint. 
A shamrock hall, said Smith. That's right, shamrock hall. Got gay they did with some of them table hillers. Say, I got it in for them gazebos, sure I have. Surest thing you know. Smith beamed approval. That, he said, is the right spirit. Nothing could be more admirable. We are bound together by our common desire to check the ever-growing spirit of freshness among the members of the Three Points. Add to that the fact that we are united by a sympathetic knowledge of the manners and customs of cats, and especially that Comrade Jackson, England's greatest fancier, is our mutual friend, and what more do we want? Nothing. Mr. Jackson stood a good, assented Mr. Jarvis, eyeing Mike in a friendly fashion. We are all to the good, said Smith. Now, the thing I wish to ask you is this. The office of the paper on which I work was, until this morning, securely guarded by Comrade Brady, whose name will be familiar to you. The kid? On the bull's eye, as usual, Comrade Jarvis. Kid Brady, the coming lightweight champion of the world. Well, he has unfortunately been compelled to leave us, and the way into the office is consequently clear to any sandbag specialist who cares to wander in. Matters connected with the paper have become so poignant during the last few days that an inrush of the same specialist is almost a certainty, unless... And this is where you come in. Me? Will you take Comrade Brady's place for a few days? How's that? Will you come in and sit in the office for the next day or so and help hold the fort? I may mention that there is money attached to the job. We will pay for your services. How do we go, Comrade Jarvis? Mr. Jarvis reflected but a brief moment. Why, sure, he said. Me for that. When do I start? Excellent, Comrade Jarvis. Nothing could be better. I am obliged. I rather fancy that the gay band of three-pointers who will undoubtedly visit the offices of Cozy Moments in the next few days, probably tomorrow, are due to run up against the surprise of their lives. Could you be there at ten tomorrow morning? Sure thing. I'll bring me canister. I should, said Smith. In certain circumstances, one canister is worth a flood of rhetoric. Till tomorrow, then, Comrade Jarvis, I am very much obliged to you. Not at all a bad hour's work, said Smith, complacently, as they turned out of Groom Street. A vote of thanks to you, Comrade Jackson, for your invaluable assistance. It strikes me I didn't do much, said Mike, with a grin. Apparently no. In reality, yes. Your manner was exactly right. Reserved, yet not haughty. Just what an eminent cat-fancier's manner should be. I could see that you made a pronounced hit with Comrade Jarvis. Uh, by the way, if you are going to show up at the office tomorrow, perhaps it would be as well if you were to look up a few facts bearing on the feline world. There is no knowing what a thirst for information a night's rest may not give, Comrade Jarvis. I do not presume to dictate, but if you were to make yourself a thorough master on the subject of catnip, for instance, it might quite possibly come in useful. End of chapter 24 of Smith Journalist